This week, uh, we're going to be starting a new uh, short series uh, in the book of Judges. We're going to be going through Judges for about four weeks, um, and then after that, we'll be looking at, uh, I think, looking into the book of John and going into a series through the book of John, Easter's coming up, uh, all of those things. But we're going to be going through the the book of Judges, uh, just kind of diving in a few things on the concept of kind of repentance and the cycle that the uh, nation of Israel was going through, uh, through the time when the book of Judges was written. Now, as far as this book, uh, it was one of my favorite books growing up as a kid. Uh, now, as some of you know, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, and so we were there on, on Sundays and Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, and then, you know, we'd just kind of get bored as a kid a little bit, and so uh, I would open up my Bible, and I would always go to Judges, because that's where all the cool stories were, right? Like, you got Samson, right? Like, a, a guy that, like, never has his hair cut, um, and then he, like, beats up a lion, um, and then he's just this mighty man of war and, and fighting. You got uh, Gideon, who's like kind of afraid to be used by God. And he puts out the fleece and he says, okay, let it be dry one morning and it's dry. And, okay, next morning, let it be wet and it's wet. Uh, and then he goes into this whole thing and he's got this army. Uh, and then they go up to the stream and God says, well, you have too many people. Like, like these are exciting stories to like watch how God would like weed it down to 400 people just based on the way that they drank water. Like, like, I remember being a kid at one point, like, like going and like in the bathroom sink thinking like, okay, I'm going to drink water like they did. Um, and instead of using like a glass, cause I can't see then. So like, let me put it in my water and like make sure my sisters aren't going to attack me or something like that. Um, but those are the kind of stories that I absolutely loved growing up as a kid. But then you continue on through the book of Judges and you, you get past some of these stories and you get into some other ones that are. Uh, very difficult and hard to read. Some of the tragedies that take place, uh, some of the choices that the nation of Israel does. You get into the, the latter chapters uh, of the book, uh, and we'll cover some of these as we go through uh, the next three weeks. Uh, these stories, like, why are they even in Scripture? Uh, and what do they mean for us? And uh, we'll be taking a look at some of those things. Uh, but the book of Judges itself, uh, in the last chapter, in verse 25, uh, kind of gives a clue as to why some of these terrible things were included. Uh, and in verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Uh, and so much of the book of Judges is kind of a, an example that's, that's showing what happens when, when mankind just kind of ignores God and pursues and does whatever they want, and here's the consequences and the reality uh, of those things. As you read through the book of Judges, you can typically see uh, two different things. The first one is uh, a result of a people abandoning the Lord, like we just talked about, doing what seemed right to them. Uh, and the second thing is a continuous cycle of rebellion, repentance, and then God's rescue, and then rebellion again. And then repentance again, and God's rescue again. Uh, and so we'll be looking at what this repentance is, why it's needed. We'll be considering some of the things that block us when it comes to uh, repentance, which is really a change. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry this happened. Uh, but a repentance is a, a turning the opposite direction and walking in an entirely new way that abandons what was before. Uh, so we'll be looking into that uh, as well. But before we go uh, any farther this morning, let's pray. 
Uh, Father, we come before you. Uh, we're thankful for your holy word, uh, for the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the things that point forward to our need in Jesus Christ. I uh, pray that as we go into this series and uh, into this book, that you uh, would guide our hearts and our minds, that these words would become alive and active to us, uh, that, Lord, you would teach us uh, what repentance truly is as you work to transform us. It's not something that we do within our own strength, but it is uh, something that you have enabled by your Spirit and through your Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we get into uh, the book of Judges, it's helpful to kind of look uh, at a brief history uh, of what the nation of Israel kind of was doing as it led up to uh, where Judges picks up. Uh, and so what happens is you have, you know, Abraham and his children, and they kind of grow. you got the story of Joseph, the coat of many colors, uh, him being sold into slavery. We're kind of like fast-forwarding through a bunch of history here. Um, but it ends up, the whole nation of Israel uh, ends up in slavery for about 400 years in the nation of Egypt. Uh, in which they were uh, forced into labor, um, into getting their own straw, their own mud to make bricks, uh, beaten and killed. Uh, and through this, uh, God uses Moses uh, to help rescue uh, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. We've got the ten different plagues. Uh, they crossed the Red Sea, uh, and then they were wandering the desert for 40 years. And so through all of these things, we already kind of see what the nation of Israel is noticing, uh, that God is a powerful God. As they left the nation of Egypt, uh, it said that during the day, there was a pillar of smoke. And during the night, it was a pillar of fire. That would just kind of like guide them as they fled away from Egypt. I mean, just think about it. In slavery for 400 years, your parent was a slave. Your parent's parent was a slave. You know nothing else but the nation of Egypt and making bricks or whatever else they had you doing. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, through the ten different plagues and the power of God and, and this astounding example of, of his might and miracles, uh, you get to leave Egypt. All right, which way do we go now? <laughs> like we're free. Where do we go? Oh, here's this giant pillar of smoke in front of us. Let's, let's follow that. As Moses says, let's follow God. Comes to, to nighttime. There's no street lights. There's no flashlights. There's no headlamps that they can pull out as they're on their journey to their next campsite. But there's a pillar of fire guiding them. Signifying the presence of God leading them in their escape even to the point where the, the army of Egypt was coming up behind them. And this pillar of fire moved around behind them in order to guard them uh, as they were able to walk across the Red Sea. And so again, like the provision, the miraculous provision of God to, to save them was so tangible to them. But as you continue through the story, as they get to... Uh, Mount Sinai, and, and Moses is going to go up and receive the Ten Commandments and, and hear from the Lord. They already begin their cycle of idolatry and rebellion against God. So let's, let's build a golden calf. And we see this continue on as they wander through the desert for 40 years. They get into the promised land, again, by water. 
being stopped so they could walk across the River Jordan in dry land. They cross into that, and here's Jericho in front of them with, with all of these massive walls. Okay, we're supposed to attack that? And, and as they're sitting there, and they're kind of staring, and how are we supposed to do this? Uh, in Joshua, it says that, that Joshua met an angel. And the angel gives them his, these instructions. He's like, okay, what I want you to do uh, tomorrow is I want you to get all the people up and just walk around the city one time. And then do that the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day for seven days. Just just wake up, have your breakfast, just do a lap, and then go back home. But on the seventh day, do it seven times, and once that's done, blow all the trumpets and, and shout. Okay. So like, just imagine like sitting there as a soldier within that army, like, okay, why are we doing this again? Seven times? Okay. And then they shout, and all the walls crumble down. Again, the, the power of God being revealed to them uh, as they enter into the promised land that God has promised to Abraham that they would have. The power of God to rescue them, to guide them, to lead them, to empower them, to accomplish what he has for them to do. And then towards the end of the book of Joshua, uh, the nation of Israel is kind of given a choice. Joshua is speaking to them as he's older, as he's facing death himself. Uh, and he's saying, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to follow God or are you going to go back into following after false idols? We've seen how this has happened as we wandered for 40 years, the golden calf, the plagues that we faced, uh, all of these different things. What are you going to choose? Uh, and in chapter 24, they emphatically say, we will follow the Lord. He has rescued us. He is mighty to save. We will follow him. And then you turn the next page into the book of Judges. And we get into Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, and as the book of Judges begins, it says, uh, after them, or after those who had kind of seen some of these things, uh, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. Now, now in this, they would have known the stories, Right? Like, like, what parents who had seen the Jordan dry up so they could walk across on dry land and seen the walls of Jericho fall down uh, would not tell that story to their kid? I mean, we tell all kinds of stories to our children uh, about when we were younger, the things that we've been through, the adventures, the fish that we caught that were this big somewhere in there. Like, we enjoy telling those stories. Like, yeah, when I used to, I used to walk to school uphill in the snow both ways. Like, like all of those things. And, and so the parents certainly would have been telling their children, like, this is what the Lord has done. This is how he rescued us out of Egypt. Like, remember these things. In fact, they had festivals uh, established in order to celebrate these things as a remembrance for what God has done. Much like Jesus gave us communion, like we celebrated this morning, as a remembrance of what he did for us in saving us. But despite this, it says they did not know the Lord or the works that he had done. So, so in other words, there was almost this choice of, um, we're just not going to focus on that. 
Like we hear those stories, and even though they were a generation ago, uh, we're just going to consider them to be myth and not for us. And so in verse 11, it says, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals, which was a false god, uh, abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. And so here in the beginning, the introduction of the book of Judges, we see how this cycle of rebellion, repentance, and rescue begins over and over again. This idea of following after false gods, the Ashtoreths, the Baals, uh, these things was something that they would fall into because of the surrounding people. And they would fall into the, the culture, the mindset that surrounded them, which we see is even a danger for us. We looked at it a few weeks ago uh, in Romans chapter 12, where it says, do not conform your mind, but allow it to be transformed. Allow your mind to be transformed by the power and discerning what God's will is, but not conform to this world, to this earthly realm that is temporary. The Israelites would struggle with this uh, and choose to follow after these false gods. Now, now why? Uh, I'm guessing there's a number of different reasons. Uh, the first one is maybe it was something that was easier because the Lord calls for absolute obedience, absolute trust, and following him with everything that we have. Where the false gods, it's like, oh, well, if you do this, then Baal's going to do this for you. If you do this, this is what you get. Some of the false worship involved with these things uh, involved deep sin as well. And so perhaps it was uh, pleasurable in senses uh, to indulge in this sin of a worship of a false god, ignoring and abandoning the very things that the Lord, the creator of the universe, uh, established for us. And so they would pursue after these false gods, either because it was simple, because it didn't demand uh, absolute obedience and trust, uh, or perhaps because it gave them an excuse to walk in the sins uh, that they preferred or enjoyed. And so they would go into this, and they would fall into that. And, and as they did that, the protection of the Lord would kind of fall away from them at that time. And they would be oppressed by the various nations, the, the Philistines, over and over again, and other nations, to the point where then they would cry out and they would say, well, well, God, save us. And so he would send a judge. And the judge would come, Samson would come, and, and he would destroy uh, the Philistine oppression, rescue the nation of Israel. They would be grateful for what God has done in their life. They would turn to him uh, after that repentance and in that rescue and be joyful, and then they would fall again into a cycle of rebellion, a cycle of forgetfulness, forgetting what the Lord has done, not having it being focused within their minds. And it happens over and over and over again within this book. Now the question that we face today is, is do we feel that way in our own lives at times? We're here because we want to pursue after the Lord. 
We recognize what he has done in our lives in rescuing us from sin and from death and from darkness. We celebrate communion as a a touchstone and a remembrance of what he has done. But yet, are there areas within our lives that we recognize that we fall into a pattern of sin? A pattern of rebellion? There's something that's, that's lingering? And, and we fall into that or we're drawn towards it uh, and then we find ourselves uh, choosing to follow after it and then in that we find conviction. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for pursuing this sin. Forgive me for this choice. Forgive me for responding out of my flesh in anger or jealousy or bitterness instead of responding out of the fruit of the Spirit. Would you forgive me for that? And I, I rest in the transformative work and the cross, and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I walk forward in the joy of the Lord that you have transformed me, and my sins are forgiven. And then as we go forward in that, are there times then where we start drifting back to that same temptation, to the same sin, to the same pattern of thinking, That is not what the Lord has done in our life. And we can get into this uh, cycle of rebellion, repentance, and rescue similar to the book of Judges. Uh, Perhaps we can relate to the way Paul writes in Romans chapter 7. In verse 18 he says, I know that nothing good lives within me that is in my flesh. So he's talking about earthly aspects. For the desire to do what is good is with me, a desire to follow after the Lord. But in my flesh, there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And so it's talking about this tension, this battle that we go through in this life uh, as redeemed Christians. We, we've been bought by the blood of Christ. We've been set free by the power of his resurrection from the chains and bondage to sin and death. It, it's broken. We're adopted into his family. Where We're seen as righteous because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we have done. And so in that aspect, we are given a new identity. We're called new creations that that we can walk in the truth of the redeemed children of God as a royal priesthood, as more than conquerors. All these things that we've been looking at uh, over the past weeks. But that is the new identity that we have been given. uh, But yet, is there not sometimes a tendency within us to not live according to that truth? a temptation to live according to the way that we used to be before we were transformed by the Holy Spirit. A a walking in a sense of lies. Because the way that we were before Jesus rescued us, we are no longer that way. But sometimes we tend to live as though we are the same. We battle against these sinful desires, and at times we find victory, and at times, again, the cycle of rebellion, repentance, uh, and rescue. 
Now, as we go through this series, uh, we're going to look at some of the different ways that uh, there's blocks within us when it comes to what repentance actually is. And perhaps when we're turning to God, after we are convicted of a sin within our life, we're not truly walking in what repentance actually is. Maybe we're just feeling shame or condemnation. And so we say we're, we're sorry. Or we look uh, for the forgiveness of the Lord. But do we actually walk in what repentance is? Uh, and so we'll go through that uh, throughout this series. Uh, even though we desire uh, to be able to, to end sin uh, in our lives, sometimes it seems to be lingering or clinging on in different areas uh, of our life. But for this morning, uh, kind of as we're going into this series, uh, I want to focus on, again, the source of our rescue. Kind of anchor within the truth of the gospel because it's that truth that we have to stand in as we begin to wrestle with the areas of our life that aren't conforming to what Scripture says we are. If God looks at us and he says, you are redeemed, I've made you holy and righteous, and I've given you a robe and a ring, you are my son, you are my daughter, and I have things, I have good works for you that I prepared before you, before the foundation of the world. I have all this for you to be light in this world. If we're able to anchor on the truth in those things, then we're able to kind of go back and say, well, what isn't conforming to that? And we can do it in a safe way that allows for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because if we're not anchored in the truth of who God has now transformed us to be, we start looking at the areas of our life that, that are icky, that are dark, that, that need work yet, it's easier to fall into a sense of condemnation. I'm just failing right now because this is still there. This thing just keeps happening no matter how I want to get rid of it. This addiction, this sin, this pattern of behavior. I, I want it to be gone, but it's just, there's nothing I can do about it. Now those types of thoughts aren't true in the identity that God has given to us. And so we need to make sure we're anchored within the gospel. Even within this, as we're reading the passage in Romans chapter 7, uh, where Paul is saying, there's nothing good that lives within my flesh. There's nothing that I can do within my own strength that is good, that is of eternal value. In verse 24, he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And so he's almost at that point of, of just focusing on the fleshy aspect of himself and saying, what can I do? I'm wretched because I cannot change this. But in his very next breath, in the very next words, he says, thanks be to God, though, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I am self-serving the law of God, but with my flesh, uh, the law of sin. And he goes into Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so in this, Paul is, is juxtaposing, he's contrasting these two things, this attitude of saying, well, if I'm just in my own flesh, if I'm just within my own head, my own strength, my own thoughts, my, my own willpower to resist sin in my life, wretched man that I am, because it's impossible for me to overcome this. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. 
there is no condemnation. Because it wasn't our ability to get us out that caused us to be set free. It was completely the work of Jesus Christ on the cross who came down to this earth willingly with the joy set before him, the joy for your, for my redemption, that he came down to live a perfect life without sin and to die as a criminal, executed as a criminal, shamed as a criminal in our place to pay for our sins. And then through his resurrection, three days later, breaking the chains of death, his resurrection into a new life, being the firstborn of this resurrection, the first of many brothers and sisters, gives us the opportunity as we turn to Christ through repentance for the forgiveness of our sins, the washing away of all of our actions. And not just the washing away of our actions, but the replacement of those actions by Jesus Christ. At some point, each one of us will face the judgment seat. We'll face Jesus uh, himself on the throne once our time on this earth is done. And it says all must give an account. All must give an account for their time here on earth. And the miraculous aspect of this is that before repentance and forgiveness and grace and mercy and then adoption by God, the only chance that we had was to stand before a holy and absolutely perfect God and have him say, well, how did you do? I think I did okay. Like I, I did some good things and, and hopefully I did some more good things than I did bad things and you know, I did the best that I could. Okay? Were you perfect? No. All right. That's what you need to be to get in. You need to be perfect. And it's impossible for any of us in our sinful flesh aspect of our humanity that we inherited from Adam and Eve to be perfect. We can do some good things. And we can certainly see how mankind can do some terrible things. But not one of us can be perfect. Perfect to the standard of God, the creator of all things, is perfect. Holy to the standard of God being holy. It's absolutely impossible. And so through the death of Jesus Christ, paying for our sins, wiping the slate clean, of our evil actions. And then not only that, through his resurrection, giving us a credit to our account to the worth of Christ himself for the redeemed, adopted son or daughter of God as we stand before Jesus on the throne and he examines our life. Instead of examining and judging based on everything that we've done, the cookies that we snuck that were supposed to be for our sisters. I don't know what happened to them. The sins that we've committed. The darkest parts within us that we'd rather keep hidden and nobody else know about. Instead of being judged based on those things, God looks at us in that moment and chooses instead to say, well, Jesus did this. 
And Jesus did this. Jesus perfectly obeyed and fulfilled every aspect of the law. He did this. Uh, And so that means that I'm going to consider that you did this too. Welcome into my presence forever. Uh, This is the miraculous aspect of what God has done for us. We didn't do anything to earn or deserve his forgiveness. We didn't do anything to deserve mercy or even have the perfect qualifications to enter into eternity with God. Will there be no more sin, no more death? All these things have passed away. It's everything that Jesus Christ has done. And that's why Paul is saying, in my own strength, I'm wretched. In my own strength, I have no chance whatsoever. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is no condemnation. Continues on Romans 8, verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it's unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This was the cycle that the nation of Israel was facing in the book of Judges. That their mindset was not on God. Instead, their mindset was on their own comfort, their own desires, or tried to excuse away their own sins. And there was no Holy Spirit indwelling them at that point. And so they would go through this cycle again and again because their minds would continually be turned onto the flesh. Uh, and those who have the mindset of the flesh uh, is death. But the mindset of the Spirit is peace. And so when they would choose to turn their mind uh, away from their own flesh, from their own desires, from pursuing after their own way, and they turned it to God and said, would you rescue us? He would show up in power. But then their mind would turn again back to their flesh, back to their desires. He continues on, though, in verse 9. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who was raised from Christ, who raised Christ from the dead, will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. Again, in verse 12, you are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We have been set free from the chains of sin and bondage and death. There may be areas within our life that we still need to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit as he transforms us. And the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God in his love are there to to gently bring us and transform us out of that. 
And so if there's areas within our own life, the transformative work is there. Now, there's areas that we may not be submitting to that, but again, we're not obligated to it. If there's a sin in your life that you feel like you can't get rid of, it's a lie. Because Christ's death broke that chain. If you feel like the temptation is stronger than you can handle, it's a lie. Because Christ's death broke that chain. His work in us will overcome. And the thing that we have to battle is within ourselves at that point. Do we actually believe the truth of what God says? Or do we actually believe the lie that these sins and temptations are stronger than what God has done for us? And we get to work and submit in these things as he transforms us. But again, we are not obligated to live according to the flesh because those chains have been broken. We have died in Christ, Romans chapter 9 goes on to say. And then we're risen with him into a newness of life, no longer obligated to the flesh. And then in verse 13, it says, But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh, you will live. So again, even the way that we pursue this is not according to our own strength. We try and do this within our own strength, within our own will. All we can say is, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. But if we do it according to the Spirit, we put to death the desires of the flesh. We're allowing the work of the Holy Spirit to transform us uh, and that the aspect of repentance and transformation is then empowered by the Spirit instead of our own will. That's one of the reasons that we find it difficult to walk into repentance. Because we think that walking in true repentance is, oh, my willpower. I'm not going to do that anymore. And we do it within our own strength. And we find that our own strength is not sufficient. And so we go back through the cycle of rebellion, repentance, and then rescue. But if we do it through the Spirit, we find freedom. For all those, in verse 14, all those led by God's Spirit or God's Son, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I think it's absolutely remarkable that this verse 15 where it says we have the right to call God Daddy is put right after this wrestling between flesh and the Spirit. Right after a section that we often find ourselves walking in condemnation because we think we're not strong enough and we're doing it within our own strength and we can be confused and led astray by the lies of the enemy that says that we're too weak when the truth is it's God's strength. And so he's saying through, through all of this, It's not your own power. It's not your own abilities. In fact, the only reason that you're able to walk away from sin, the only way that you're able to walk forward in that is because you have the right as an adopted son or daughter to call God Daddy. It's through His relationship with us. That's the way we face repentance in the first place. It's about relationship. It's about abiding It's not about this sense of I have to have the right emotion. I have to have the the right 
remedy, the, the right reconciliation, the right restitution, the, the right things that I have to do in order to make up for all this bad that I've done. It's just saying, God, you love me and you chose to forgive me. To call me your son or daughter, you want me to call you daddy. I want to walk in that truth. Would you lead me in that truth? We have forgiveness of sin through the gospel. We find the empowerment of this freedom through abiding in Christ by being close to him. James chapter 4 puts it this way. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But again, see, resist the devil, but submit to God. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts. But it's all done simply by drawing near to God. Not within our own strength. And too often, we try to uh, work in repentance. We try to work in walking away from sin within our own strength and our own ability instead of just drawing near to God. Father, we come before you this morning. And uh, it is a profound truth that we struggle in. Because we have fallen into and have accepted various lies of the enemy that say it's up to us, it's up to our own ability, it's up to our, our own strength, that if we're going to resist the enemy, then we have to be strong enough. That if we're going to resist temptation and sin, we just have to be strong enough. All along, your scripture says, draw close to you. Just draw close to you. We look at following the mindset of the flesh leads to death. The answer is to have the mindset that focus on Christ. To draw close to you. And so I pray that that simple truth would be something that you make alive to us by your Spirit. That as we go forward in this day and this week, that we would just be drawn to draw close to you. That, that if we find ourselves facing temptation or sin, that we would just draw close to you. If we find that we need to be repenting of various areas in our life, that we would just draw close to you and allow you to transform us and to walk away. And as Lord, as we continue into this series and we face various areas uh, of lies of the enemy or difficulties uh, that we've allowed to stay in place, uh, I pray that you would equip us just to draw close to you and to trust that you will do the work that's needed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.